Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Callum here with a quick message from our wonderful, wonderful sponsor. Your home away from home is waiting for you at each of the resident hotels in London and Liverpool. You can enjoy excellent rooms in exceptional locations with heartfelt hospitality. Whitehall Sources is brought to you in association with The Resident, thoughtfully chosen destinations within thriving cities. The Resident offers relaxed enclaves from which you can venture out to experience the city your way with The Resident's insider knowledge. Speaking of insider knowledge, Whitehall Sources starts now. Part of serving well would be to know almost instinctively when the time is right to make way for someone else. And when that time came, to have the courage to do so, even if to many across the country and in my party, it might feel too soon. In my head and in my heart, I know that time is now. Hello and welcome to Whitehall Sources. We're recording on Thursday the 16th of February. I'm Kyla MacDonald, also here, Kirsty Buchanan, former Special Advisor to Theresa May. Hello, Kirsty. Good morning. And also here, Frankie Leach, former Advisor to Jeremy Corbyn. Hello, Frankie. Good morning. And we are back to... Well, I'm here to gloat, really. That's the main reason we're, uh, we're here on Thursday morning. And I'm going to gloat through the medium of David's email. Thank you for your kind email, David, which reads... Hi, Callum. It seems like you've now reached number one in the profit chart. I look forward to listening to the podcast with you preening your feathers. I mean, I do that most weeks. There's nothing exceptional about that this week. David goes on. I remember the intake of breath from Kirsty when you predicted Nicola Sturgeon's resignation by the year end. I bowed down to your prescience, says David from Lincolnshire. Thank when you, you say David. David from Lincolnshire, <laughs> is that like an anagram for Callum McDonald from London Bridge? <laughs> no, it's not. This Are you a... sure? <laughs> Thank you for your email, David. Uh, for those of you who may be new to the podcast, um, at the, on our first episode back in the new year, I said Nicola Sturgeon would not be the first Minister of Scotland by the end of 2023, and behold. Does anybody want to say anything else? Well, uh, look, I'm just going to say I'm only glad that all I did was do a sharp intake of breath and rather than say something like, don't be ridiculous, Callum, she'll be there forever and a day. So uh, I would be profit number 4062. <laughs> but uh, we'll allow you a little bit of gloating because you, you were 100% right. I mean, in the defence of everyone else who didn't predict this, um, I did not anticipate it happening quite so quickly <laughs> but it looks like the SNP didn't either I'd love mm. to be a fly on the wall of their offices on the morning that she announced it because you could see like the journalists trying to get their Scottish sources in line but nobody did a broadcast clip yesterday saying like yes I knew that she was going if you watch Channel 4 News yesterday interestingly the difference in responses between Anna Sawa, I don't know if, if anyone watched Anna Sawa do any of the tributes to Nicola Sturgeon yesterday. Extremely respectful, very pleasant. They asked him, you know, is this now the time for a, a Scottish Labour government? And he was saying, you know, 
in the future we can have that conversation but i don't think it's the right day to talk about it that mirrored well not mirrored i suppose juxtaposed to the way uh, that the Scottish Conservatives responded to Nicola Sturgeon's exit was quite remarkable, the difference in tone. Which was the equivalent of don't let the door hit you on the way out, right? <laughs> Basically, yeah. Yeah. I know. Is there, is there something in that? So one of the themes of Nicola Sturgeon's um, resignation speech was about how intense all of this has got and she's become quite a polarising figure. To my mind, that's inevitable when you're leading a polarising issue. Um, which is very black or white, independence or not. There's a bit of that. But is there? should there be a grace period when somebody resigns where you give it a day or two before you kind of go for them? Depends what they've done, I think. Or not if done. If someone's resigning. Yeah, I think Nicola Sturgeon resigning um, in the same way that people gave platitudes to Jacinda Ardern, regardless of whether, you know, the time is right to resign. I think Nicola, uh, Nicola Sturgeon really deserves a kind of respectful sending off. I think if you're someone like Boris Johnson, who's literally being dragged out because of hosting illegal parties or at least being adjacent, party adjacent to illegal parties, I think you can quite easily condemn someone um, for why they're going. But I don't think Nicola Sturgeon's leaving in disgrace by any means. Is there a grace period, Kirsty? It entirely depends on your record in office, I think. Mm. Um, and I will be fascinating to to find out what we think her legacy is, um, because actually I'm struggling, uh, and I don't know whether that's my lack of intimate lack of knowledge of Scottish politics or whether, frankly, there isn't much of one except for high drug deaths, crumbling NHS, uh, and appalling school standards. Um, but uh, I was struck in the same way that Frankie was. You know, for all of that, she was a formidable. Uh, politician has been a force in British politics for you know many many years um, and it felt a little churlish to me if I was going to be honest from the Conservatives <laughs> to be quite so quite so begrudging um, uh, at least for a day but, but but you know look at the record it's not it's not entirely one of of uh, victory and success by any measure is it it's a it's a failing country and it's a divided and failing country, and if that's her legacy, you know, then uh, you can understand why some people wouldn't want to sort of sit back and pretend even for 24 hours that she was a great force in, in Scottish politics. I think what will be really interesting to see play out is who will become her successor, because I remember in the podcast the last time we spoke about this, it was clear that there wasn't succession planning in the way of a notable successor who is essentially just a shoe-in to replace her. And I think the SNP is a pretty young party. I mean, I remember when I was at COP27, I went to an event that was run by SCIAF, which is the Scottish Catholic Agency for International Development. And one of their younger ministers, whose name escapes me now, who's the environment minister at the SNP. Mary McAllen, is that her? Yeah, she's the 29-year-old, right? I think recently turned 30. But I was blown away by, you know, she was exceptionally intellectual she really knew her brief she was very charming and I just thought you know you don't often see that kind of you know representative of really young women in politics um outside of the SNP and particularly in Scotland I know that Scottish Labour's just started selecting their new PPCs and I think one of them was a, a very young candidate that stood and was essentially kiboshed and told they were too young to stand and when you compare that to what looks like quite a young and dynamic SNP, it will be interesting to see if they go for someone like her to replace Nicola Sturgeon or whether they go for perhaps a, an older man who looks like a steady pair of hands to, to steer the ship. But I think it will be really interesting to see how Scottish politics play out in the form of Nicola's successor. Well, hold those thoughts, because coming up in the next couple of minutes, we're going to bring in Campbell Gunn, who was a special advisor to both SNP First Ministers of Scotland, Alex Salmond and Nicola Sturgeon, also a journalist who's got a really, really helpful way of looking at all of this. So we'll speak to Campbell on the podcast, as it's a bit of a Sturgeon special today, partly so I can gloat, but partly so that we can consider the actual implications of what is, without doubt, the biggest political story of the year so far. If you would like to have your say, and we would love for you to have your say, then even Email hello at whitehallsources.com. It would be great to hear from you. Are you bidding, Are you giving Nicola Sturgeon a grace period? Or actually, is it all hands to the pump as far as you're concerned? Uh, email hello at whitehallsources.com. And while we're on the emails, hello to David and Kirsty. Um, not our Kirsty, a different Kirsty, who are among those who have signed up to the mailing list since we last spoke on the podcast last week. Thank you for doing that. Uh, to add your name to 
the ever-growing mailing list, by the way, go to whitehallsources.com forward slash mailing list. Campbell, it's Kyle McDonald here. How are you doing? Hi. Not too bad, Callum. Good, good. Thanks very much for doing this. Um, no problem. 24 hours on from Nicola Sturgeon's announcement. Uh, have, you, have, you, have you delved into more of the reasoning behind this? Is, is anything clearer today that wasn't clear yesterday, as far as you're concerned? No, I don't think so. I think it's simply been an accumulation of things. Uh, the, she, she's had eight and a half years... Uh, as First Minister, uh, she's seen off, I think, five Prime Ministers. Uh, she has not had her problems to seek uh, in the Scottish Parliament with the gender reform stuff and uh, the bottle return problems that business has objected to. Uh, there are problems within the party as well. Uh, I don't think many people in the party are happy about using the next general election as a de facto referendum. Uh, personally, I think it's a daft idea because the chances of actually winning a majority are pretty slim. Uh, and even if you do, Westminster can just simply shrug and say, well, so what? They had no legal standing. Do you now, in 2023, when you look at Nicola Sturgeon compared to when you were working alongside her, do you see a, a different person or a changed person? And if so, what is different? No, I, I don't really. Uh, she, she's obviously, since since I worked for her, she has had uh, COVID to deal with, uh, which I think she did very, very well. Uh, that must have taken a lot out of her as well. But uh, she, she said she has uh, perhaps a, a different persona in public than she has in, in private. In private, she's very... Uh, amusing and personable. Uh, I think in, in public she sometimes comes over as a bit brittle, but uh, she's not really like that in real life. Mm, that's interesting. Can you t tell us more about that. What's it like to spend time in her company? She's very pleasant. I, 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 I was three years as a special advisor, which was split almost exactly in time between Alex Salmond and Nicola Sturgeon. And they were <laughs> the, the contrast was amazing. Uh, Work, working for Alec was incredibly stressful. Uh, working for Nicola was far more relaxed. She didn't micromanage uh, the way Alec did. Uh, when when I was working for Alec Salmond, uh, he would phone at all hours of the day and night uh, asking for things to be done or asking why something wasn't done, uh, especially at the weekends if you were the duty special advisor. Uh, on a Saturday and Sunday, you were the man to go to, and he would phone Friday night, phone Saturday morning to go through the papers, check what had been put out all day Saturday, phone Saturday night for the Sunday papers, phone Sunday. Uh, when, when Nicola took over, I think in all the time, I, I probably had a few dozen weekends as special advisor, and I think I maybe spoke to her twice. Right. Gosh, you got, got a lot more sleep with Nicola Sturgeon. <laughs> in, indeed you did. She, she kind of she left you to go on with it. She yeah. trusted you a bit more. Alec did tend to be on your back all the time. Mm, that's interesting. What do, you, what do you consider, Campbell, when you look at, I suppose, policy? You know, I think often we can... We can overlook the policy implications of of the SNP government because independence is so dominating <clears throat> always. Yeah. But, but and you mentioned COVID. It's, realistically, that's going to be Sturgeon's legacy, isn't it? Because in the next few days, we're gonna we're gonna pick apart the failures in education and the NHS and all of these sorts of things. Yeah. I mean, there are there are certainly things that uh, the opposition parties will point at the the failure to close the attainment gap, although it has been closing, but it hasn't been closed. Mm. Uh, failures in the NHS, but those failures in the NHS are UK-wide. Uh, it's, it's the same in Wales, it's the same in, in England. Uh, waiting times are, are far too long. Uh, but she, she can point at a progressive taxation system. Uh, she, I mean, limited, admittedly, but increasing the taxation for the better off and uh, lowering it for the, the, the less well-off and uh, increasing childcare, uh, the baby box. She has had a, a lot of uh, concentration on families and children in particular. Yeah. Frank, is your perception of a more progressive 
post-Sturgeon Scotland, if you like? I think so. I mean, I'd be curious to ask you actually about where you think the future of the SNP lies. Um, earlier in the podcast, I was just saying, is her name Mari Callum? Yeah, Mary McCallum. Mary, yeah. Mary McCallum, yeah, the Environment Minister. I, I saw her speaking at COP27 last year and I was extremely impressed by just how intellectual and on top of her brief she seemed and somebody told me that she was a, a close ally of Nicola Sturgeon. I wonder, is, is that the face of the, the new SNP or what, what are we going to see from the, the next leader, do you think? I think perhaps she's too young uh, at the moment. I, th- I think uh, she is possibly a leader for the future. But I, I think uh, jumping right down a couple of generations is perhaps too much. Can I ask, just um, uh, listening to the, to, to the speech, do you, is your perception that what this is really, the, the fundamental point, and I, and I take the point about accumulation of of many different issues, but that she realised with the gamble that she made in, in in going to court and losing in the Supreme Court that she'd taken the kind of constitutional issue of another referendum down a cul-de-sac um, and there was no way back for it, really, and that actually it's not viable to, to use an election for for something as binary as, as an independence vote um, and therefore... Her primary, you know, she just realised she'd sort of run out of road, if you like, in terms of of delivering on on her central promise. Yeah, yes, and and not only that, but there was there's a lot of opposite grassroots opposition within the party to doing that, mm. because as I say, uh, even on on the outside chance of winning it, uh, Westminster can just simply shrug and say, "Well, we didn't fight it on that basis. We're not accepting it." So where is the, uh, it's one of those hideous phrases that people use all the time in politics and I'm going to use it now, is there a landing strip now for uh, another referendum or is it really kind of in effect put to bed for for many years? For a generation, you might say. For a generation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think the new leader, whoever he or she might be, uh, has a chance to reset uh, a, I, I think using a de facto referendum is a, a, a no-go. Mm. Uh, they have to up the pressure on Westminster to allow a Section 30 order for another referendum. That's the, it's the only legal way of, 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 of doing it. Uh, and to do that, they have to mount another campaign like the Yes campaign, see the, the polls in Scotland permanently at 55 or... 60, hopefully, uh, and in, in include Civic Scotland in it, as well as the political parties and uh, uh, the, the Yes campaign itself. Yeah. So the pressure go- goes on Westminster to, to grant something like that. It's really interesting because one of the considerations here is that, that, that objectively looking at the sort of averages of polls and things over the last couple of decades, independence is no closer today than it was... Uh, all those no. many years ago when, when Sturgeon kind of took over. Uh, and so exactly. with a view to the next leader, is the party going to have to choose a leader based on that leader's strategy for attaining independence or should they choose a strategy first that they then entrust the leader to implement? Well, of course, there was supposed to be a, a special conference on exactly that, mm. on the strategy for the future on uh, March 19th. Now, I see uh, Stephen Flynn has already called for it to be postponed, and I think it probably will be postponed. The the National Executive Committee of the SNP meets this evening, actually, to discuss uh, how they progress uh, electing a new leader. And I think one of the things they will do is uh, put a pause on the the special conference, because there's no point in having a special conference which agrees a way forward, and then you elect a leader who doesn't agree with that way forward. Mm, Exactly. We've seen in Westminster quite recently uh, how damaging leadership uh, contests in government can be. Um, what do you think the impact's going to be on the SNP itself in trying to have a leadership contest whilst trying to govern? Well, I think it's going to be a good thing for the SNP to have a leadership contest because, remember, they haven't had one for 19 years. Uh, in 2004 was the last time when, uh, when Alex Salmond flew in at the last moment. It was going to be a contest between Rosanna Cunningham and Nicola Sturgeon. Rosanna Cunningham was going to win it, it appeared, and she had a disastrous appearance on question time, 
course, you couldn't answer a simple question about why Scotland should be independent. And uh, Alex Salmond decided the time was right for him to come back, spoke to Nicola Sturgeon. They ran in a double ticket and defeated uh, Rosanna Cunningham. Uh, and, of course, that was the, the, the time when Alex Salmond had said he had absolutely no intention of standing for, for the leadership of the party. If if nominated, he would decline. If elected, he would demit office. All that stuff, uh, and then <laughs> about turned and, and and did it and won the contest. So we've already had the uh, Stephen Flynn ruling himself out. Uh, so I wouldn't take. I would take that with a pinch of salt. Can I ask as well about Alex Salmond because I think his role in the pressure that has been applied on Nicholas Surgeon the last couple of weeks hasn't really been looked into properly which is that you know he seems to have been on pretty much every broadcast outlet knocking her for six and I assume you know he will be smelling blood in the water now that she's gone I mean is this going to clear a pathway for the resurgence of Alex Salmond where's he going to go now? Uh, I, I don't see any future for Alaba whatsoever I was I was absolutely amazed when uh, he, he, he founded the mm. party and said he was going to to contest the elections uh, he, he has been bumping along about 2% in the polls and I don't really see that changing uh, he's, uh, as far as the public is concerned I think he's unelectable I'm interested too in all the praise that Nicola Sturgeon's got and this is probably one for Frankie and Kirsty actually because there's been almost unanimous praise in the in the last 24 hours of of her ability as a politician and while some of that I suppose is to be expected in just sort of the niceness of a resignation moment and everyone sort of being kind to one another there's a there's a bit of introspection to be done isn't there if if all political party leaders are pointing to her and saying she led very capably and we're you know we always admire somebody who can do that is there anybody who is anywhere close to having her political leadership, Kirsty, or is actually this a moment for them to go, well, hang on a second, if she did it like that, is there something we should learn from her? Look, those sorts of qualities are innate, I think. Mm. I don't think you can teach them. I think, you know, one of the uh, great qualities she had was that she is a people person. Um, uh, I mean, I take Campbell's point about her coming across quite brittle. I, I mean... Uh, on occasion, I can see that, but but fundamentally, she had, uh, she had what for all uh, his many faults, um, you know, Boris Johnson had, which was she had, the kind of common touch, as it were, and when she lost that uh, by pursuing, uh, you know, an ill-fated uh, determination to reform gender recognition in Scotland. Um, this is when you, I suspect you've got a big kind of disconnect with her and the public because, you know, at the risk of coming up with one of my clunky old metaphors again, you know, politicians should never lose sight of the fact that, you know, you've got to get the foundations right first and build the house and make sure your house is solid before you worry about the colour of the curtains. Um, and, you know, I think she took the... Uh, to the to the country down a path that it wasn't wasn't ready to, to to go down, and that's where the disconnect happened. But yeah. up until then, I mean, yeah, I, 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 my genuine view is that one of her great legacies will be COVID. She was an incredible leader through COVID, and when you contrast the kind of clarity that she had with this kind of weird go outside but stay indoors, but go to work but don't go to work kind of confusion we had in Westminster. Um, I think she she led you know infinitely more capably than uh, than down here and with greater clarity and with obviously a great deal more compassion um, and I and I don't I don't want to play the woman card on this my my point on this is that I genuinely think she has resigned because she has run out of constitutional road on the referendum and she knows it mm. um, uh, and doesn't want to get exposed uh, by just you know being in office on that for two or three more years. But, you know, what women do and what women leaders do sometimes quite well is have a good deal more introspection uh, about both their qualities as a leader, but also some of their failings. And, you know, and there is a bit of that Arden kind of, look, I've run out of steam. You know, this is all taken it out of me. I am a human. Um, and you contrast that with a kind of, you know, when the herd turns, it turns kind of, you know, Boris Johnson, they're all out to get me. Um, yeah, some of that has a has a quality about it that I can respect, mm. and I, and, I, and I'd be surprised if you get a, a male politician um, 
Oh, look, I think male politicians jump before they're pushed just as much as she did, but course, I would be yeah. surprised if they had that level of introspection and honesty. Yeah. I'm thinking about the trans thing, and I just was sort of thinking about Anna Sauer yesterday. I don't know if you watched it. He the did Scottish an interview. Labour leader, yeah. Yes, Scottish Labour leader Anna Sauer. He did an interview yesterday, and he was asked by Krishnagura Murthy of Channel 4 whether he agreed with Nicola Sturgeon's stance um, around the Gender Recognition Act. And she, he actually said that he completely agreed with her and felt that it was an important part of progressive social policy to take that forward. And I just think, is this going to be a dividing line that goes past the SNP and is actually an issue that is all across Scotland? And clearly, you know, the Scottish Conservatives have made their mind up about where they sit on that. But it looks like Scottish Labour is falling much more in line with Nicola Sturgeon's personal position than perhaps one might have previously thought. Well, the only reason the reform bill became a thing is because it got support from a, from cross-party support. But Even some Conservatives supported it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the, notably there was an SNP rebellion from some on it as well. Yep. So the whole thing actually almost broke Holyrood, the Scottish Parliament, into splits the like of which we've never seen before, Campbell. Yeah, it was about a two-thirds majority, I think, mm -hmm. that... Uh, uh, it was supported uh, officially by all parties yeah. except the Conservatives. But as I say, even one or two Conservatives, I think it was three or four actually, who mm. voted for it. Yeah. But uh, the the thing about the gender recognition thing, it, I mean, I, I think l looking at it from the outside, it wasn't an issue of which I was aware beforehand. Uh, it, it's not an issue in which I had any strong views either way. Uh, and I, I, I imagine that, from a social point of view, it was—it's probably a good thing. But politically, mm. it's been an absolute disaster. I mean, why the the government staked so much political capital on this? I have no idea. Mm. Someone should have done some vox pops before they went ahead with it. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I think objectively, it's you know people can see the societal good of yes, supporting exactly. minorities and helping minorities and that's probably actually never up for debate but looking at but was it, it but, but was the societal gain worth the political right. loss and also and just it was just bad policy do you remember the debate yes. in the week before christmas which was crammed and late yeah. at night and people were yeah. being whipped this way and that way and forwards and backwards it was an absolute nightmare go on kirsty well yeah. i was about to say just that it's you know it's a pure intention but poor policy making yeah. and that's that's the yeah. problem with this and once she uh, got stuck in a hole. She just kept digging um, uh, and just bled out all the political capital that was was left in her, as it were. But Cameron, I wanted to just. There's a lot of whoop whoop in the Labour Party about this, <laughs> and all you know, the road the road to the you know the next UK elections is 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 paved through Scotland. Do you think it's yep. too early to bag that, or do you mm. agree that you know that 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 Sturgeon is SNP, and without her? their support will fall away by quite some considerable measure and hand seats back to the Labour Party. And what would be... So I'm going to make you... I'm going to ask you two predictions now. <laughs> so what kind of seat prediction, you know, ballpark would you think of for the Labour Party as a consequence of this? And, uh, and, and who do you think is most likely to succeed her? Well, for, for, first of all, the, uh, this, this was said when Alex Salmond resigned... Uh, that uh, support for the SNP would fall away, mm. that Nicola Sturgeon was not as charismatic mm. and as able as Salmon was, and she's proved she, she, <laughs> she has been. Um, I think there is certainly scope for the Labour Party uh, because the, the, there was a, a, lot, a lot of people who supported Labour who are very pro-unionist, who went to the Conservatives... And, the, you know, the Conservatives are actually the official opposition in the Scottish Parliament because of the biggest opposition, opposition party. And I think a lot of that soft Conservative support will go back to Labour. Whether they'll make inroads into the SNP, I think it's a wee bit early to say. Mm. As far as the succession is concerned, well, uh, I, I see Angus Robertson has been installed as favourite with the bookies. Um, He's, I mean, he has experience. He's, he's been leader at Westminster. Uh, whether he's seen as more of the same generation and style as Nicola, without quite the same charisma, mm. I don't know. You don't sound thrilled person, at the prospect, Campbell. <laughs> I'll be honest. Um, 
<laughs> I, I think it, it, it does. I mean, I think he would probably admit this himself. He comes over as sounding a bit pompous, let's say. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you were going to go on to mention uh, someone else. <laughs> yeah, uh, Kate Forbes. Mm. Uh, Kate Forbes is very able, uh, but she's currently on maternity leave. Uh, whether she would want to do this with a very young family, mm. I would be very surprised. Um, Keith Brown as deputy leader might be a, a safe pair of hands, but again, none of them have the charisma that uh, either Salmond or Sturgeon has. Mm. Uh, th- 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 there are one or two other people. I mean, the, the, the rising star, of course, within the SNP is Stephen Flynn. Yeah. But mm. the, pra- the, the practicalities of of being SNP leader when you're at Westminster, you can't be first minister. Mm. For him to be parachuted into to Holyrood would uh, be would raise all sorts of problems. Some would have to resign to create a by-election. They would have to be elected. Uh, I just don't see it in the short term. But perhaps in the longer term, Stephen Flynn might be the, mm. the person to look to. And on the matter of the SNP in Westminster, what do you think? You know, Nicola Sturgeon resigning will do to that block of MPs because I think the SNP in Westminster they kind of come into the news Ian Blackford was obviously quite a big figure but since Ian Blackford stepped down there seems to have been and we've spoken about this on the podcast before a bit of sort of quiet internal turmoil when it comes to the SNP in Westminster and Nicola Sturgeon stepping down what is that going to do to those that Westminster block of uh, MPs? Well one, one, one SNP MP told me they were fighting with ferrets in a sack down there um, <laughs> One of my favourite <laughs> phrases. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. There are big differences within the party at Westminster. Uh, I, I, I think, to be fair, uh, Stephen Flynn, I think, has steadied the ship at Westminster quite mm. a bit. Uh, I'm not down at Westminster the way I used to be on a regular basis, so I'm, I'm not totally across this. But uh, he seems to have quietened things down. Uh, there, there isn't the 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 background chatter on social media that mm. there was when Ian Blackford was leader. It's really interesting. It's such a fascinating time. Campbell, we're very grateful for your insight. Thank you for joining us. No problem. Thank you very much. Cheers, Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Cheers. That is Campbell Gunn, who uh, was a special advisor to... Um, not to Theresa May, that's your job, Kirsty. He was a special <laughs> advisor to Nicola Everyone Sturgeon. Everyone had a go. <laughs> he was a special advisor to Nicola Sturgeon and before that, Alex Salmond as well. This is Whitehall Sources, the only political podcast that predicted the downfall, the resignation... The end, really, of Nicola Sturgeon as First Minister of Scotland. That alone should secure us in your weekly listening. Make sure you press follow and subscribe for the best insider analysis from those who have lived it and breathed it as advisors to leaders around the country, indeed around the world. That's what we do every single week. Press follow, press subscribe. Make sure you stick around for this every single week. We are so pleased that Whitehall Sources is your favourite podcast. Thank you for finding us. Our favourite hotel is The Resident, who have hotels in London and Liverpool. Don't just take our word for it, though, as trustworthy as sources as we might be. Take this review from Louisa from just a few weeks ago in January. She stayed in Covent Garden and said, Great location. Room was so comfortable and clean. Shower was the best we had. Mm during our month in Europe, close to shopping and restaurants and multiple tube stations too. Covent Garden is the perfect area to stay. And let's double source this, shall we? Because East Coast Will stayed at the resident in February and said, don't hesitate to book your stay here, especially if you plan to attend theatre event. It's a quiet, restful oasis, a relaxed enclave even in a very busy city. We are excited to return. So why not come to London, listen to Whitehall Sources on the way and stay at The Resident for the full London experience. You can book your stay in The Resident in London or Liverpool. Just click residenthotels.com. Really fascinating, I think, from, I mean, apart from anything else, the differences on working for the two of them and perhaps their different leadership styles, actually. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the... I mean, obviously, as a former special advisor, that's one of the things that I found most interesting about it. Um, You know, and I have worked for 
both kind of varieties in a, in a number of ways. I've worked for uh, politicians who are, you know, who think nothing of ringing you up at sort of two in the morning because they've noodled on something and they just <laughs> want to run it past you. Um, or, you know, being driving somewhere with the kids and being called. And there's no, there's never any off time, right? There's never any point where you don't pick up the phone to your principal and being called and sort of going, oh, you know, well, I'm just, I'm just taking the kids to X. Oh, well, I'll be quick then. And then queue, like, you know, half Five an hours. hour later. I, I remember yeah. one particularly <laughs> cold and dark and stormy night when uh, Liz Truss was talking to me, uh, having promised that she'd be quick because I said I was, you know, going somewhere with the kids. And the kids were relatively young then and they were already quite irate by her, you know, constant sort of presence in our life. Um, and they and, and I was in a car park. I had to pull into a car park, obviously, to take the phone call without breaking the law. Um, and I'm sort of wandering around the car park, and the kids at the edge just get so bored. They just keep like hitting the car horn, and I'm going, "Shut up, shut up!" in the background, and going, "Yes, yes, Liz, yes, yes." And just like eventually, just leaning on the horn to the point where even I had to say, "Look, I've got to go," you know. Um, and it's then probably you... a bit what Liz Truss's internal monologue sounds like—just a series of quick horns in succession until when she finally sort of reaches the commutative point of her thought process that's when the big long horn kicks in yeah. whereas whereas Theresa uh was a was an utter delight to work for I mean again I'm, I'm caught by the sort of you know the, the the public persona of her was that she you know wasn't terribly warm and she was a bit brittle too mm. but but actually I think she was quite shy um, I have seen her in small group situations, you know, hold people's hands while they cried, seen people open up to her. Um, you know, she can be uh, an incredibly warm and loving human being. And she was, you know, everybody understands the sort of dignity and integrity point, but she was unfailingly polite um, and hugely normal, which is a very underrated yeah. quality. I don't know if I've told you this story before, and I wasn't there, but but they were at some, uh, they were having some discussion, and there was the, Theresa May and a, and a bunch of men round a table, um, and somebody came in to serve teas and coffees and waters and stuff, and and to which, by the way, I've never once not heard her say thank you so much mm. to uh, to anybody. Um, uh, and somebody spilt something and and somebody said to me, you know, there was a full kind of minute while we all, all the men sat round the table watching the Prime Minister on her hands and knees mopping up the water that had been spilt on the floor. Really? Uh, because that was just her natural instinct, you know. Mm. And I and I once went round there to do, uh, to, round to her house because we'd um, arranged to do some... Uh, we had to have some clips for for evening bulletin, and it was a Friday, um, and there was a lot of kind of you know uh, pressure on her to get these clips done. And I arrived and obviously apologised profusely for you know my home invasion, as it were. Uh, and she said, "Oh no, it's no problem, it's no problem at all." She said, "I've just I've just got to go and get Philip his lunch, and I'll be back in a minute." And it's that kind of. Those sorts of things she used to find really grounding. I and mean, I think she said before in public, you know, shopping in, you know, mm. going to the supermarket and stuff, kept her grounded. And she said, I've just got to make Philip his lunch. And I felt like, Philip can't get his own lunch. Yeah, but, you yeah. know, but, but actually that's what kept her grounded, yeah. you know. Yeah, totally. That's a really interesting insight, actually, into leadership because it was, it was very much the sort of theme of Nicola Sturgeon's um, resignation yesterday was she wants to be the human being, Nicola Sturgeon, who can yeah. go for a coffee and who can go for a walk and who can do these sorts of things. Um, really fascinating. It's been a fascinating couple of days, actually, and it will be a really fascinating few weeks as the SNP try to get their, their ducks in a row. Just one point I was going to make as well, just as we kind of sign off this part of the podcast, was about what the next leader will inherit in Scotland. Of course, there's the cause of independence and whatever the new leader takes that to mean and interprets that to mean. It could it could be a whole range of things. Who knows, really? Uh, but also, of course, there are people who are waiting in A&E for record amounts of times. There are those waiting for mental health treatment. There are those in schools, both staff and pupils, who are struggling with the education system. Uh, there are those who waited nine additional years for the sick kids' hospital to be built in Edinburgh. There are families bereaved by drugs. Those from the poorest backgrounds who have less chance of getting into university. Those at the bottom end of that attainment gap, a gap that Campbell mentioned. 
Those who are looking out for that national energy company that's not going to appear, those waiting for the effective deposit return scheme that's bitten the dust, it would seem. And indeed, those waiting for the duelling of the A9 carriageway, the main road between the Highlands and the Central Belt, which is re remarkably dangerous, claims many, many lives each year. There are loads of issues that the Scottish government has been wrestling with for years now that have not edged any closer to resolution. And that is the state that somebody is going to inherit in the next few weeks. Of course, we'll <laughs> analyse the twists and turns on the podcast. I suppose that sounds like a, a, a worse kind of payoff uh, to her legacy than, than even the Scottish Conservatives managed. But, <laughs> but, but, but look, it is, a, it, is a, it is an interesting point and a fair one, particularly about the NHS. You know, the NHS is run by Labour in Wales. It's run by the SNP in Scotland. It's run by the Conservatives. Uh, you know, we have, and I, I'm sure I've banged on about this before, you know, uh, the amount of over 65s will double by mm. 2030. The number of over 80, 80s will triple by 2030. 80% of those will have chronic health conditions. Our uh, percentage of spending on the NHS compared with GDP is not keeping pace with the demands of the NHS. You know, uh, my own personal view is we need to have a, you know, a UK-wide uh, kind of commission to look at, you know, how we fund this moving forward and a workforce strategy for how we manage to properly remunerate people who work within the NHS and within our care services who we will become increasingly reliant on, not less reliant, increasingly reliant on. Mm. Um, you know, these are the heroes of the pandemic, but, you know... They will, you know, they will become heroes to, to all of us who have ageing parents who get sick in our lives. Um, and, you know, the current strike just reminds me that there is no there is no justification, I don't think, for me, for the for the salaries that nurses get and uh, the, the conditions mm. that all health workers and care workers have to work in. It is a unbelievably emotionally draining and tough job. And whilst we're sitting here talking about how draining it is to be Nicola Sturgeon, yeah. you know, think how draining it is to be an NHS worker, whether you, you know, whether you're working in Scotland or Wales or England. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it puts into perspective the fact that it's not an exaggeration to say that public services are crumbling. And once the workforce crumbles, and I don't just mean in terms of not having enough people to do the job, but by breaking the will of those workers, the impact that it will have on that sector is massive because it's just heartbreaking to hear the stories of people who work in the NHS at the moment. They really want to carry on providing the kind of level of care that we've spoken about to their patients. But when they say they're mentally not capable of coming to work and delivering that care, that is a crisis beyond comprehension. This isn't just about pay, this isn't just about working conditions. It's not right in the 21st century to have a group of people who feel so despondent about doing such a seriously important service of our public sector. I mean, that is an absolute crisis and it's going to take more than a pay rise. And that's what the nurses have said themselves to fix that. It's a massive job. on to discuss some other politicians who are potentially, well, who have fallen by the wayside and who might be about to fall by the wayside indeed. Really interesting consideration that all of the leaders of the UK's six largest parties in the 2019 general election have now resigned. Boris Johnson, Jeremy Corbyn, Joe Swinson, Nicola Sturgeon, Nigel Farage and Shan Berry of the Green Party as well. Um, Kirsty's catching my eye. Go on, Kirsty. Well... As an old mate of Adam Price's at Plaid Cymru, I'm obliged to remind you that uh, other leaders who have survived since 2019 are available. <laughs> Very nice. We appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, it's just an interesting one, isn't it, about the changed political landscape. And, of course, Jeremy Corbyn back in the news this week because Keir Starmer's, well, sent him off the Labour's list of ever being a Labour MP ever again, it would seem. Um, which is a contro controversial one, Frankie, and one to handle delicately, I appreciate. But it was... Strong words from Keir Starmer this week on, on Jeremy Corbyn's, well, lack of future at the Labour Party. It was. I mean, my position on this is that it's the decision 
for Labour voting residents of Islington North and Labour Party members to decide who they want their candidate to, candidate to be. I mean, look, the Labour Party is a, a democratic socialist party and usually what tends to happen in democratic socialist parties is that it's down to the, the local CLP in this instance, which is Islington North, to decide who represents them or at least who represents them on that ballot. And it's quite clear if you speak to residents who vote Labour in Islington North that they want Jeremy Corbyn to be their candidate. So it's an interesting tack. I think Keir has been, I think, quite clear over the last few months that he wouldn't be wanting Jeremy to stand as a Labour Party candidate. So I wasn't surprised when I heard the news the other day. But it will be interesting to see what happens next. Will Jeremy stand as an independent? I don't know. He's very proud to be a Labour Party MP. He's very committed to the Labour Party. So I think that would be a big decision for him to take. But I think that it would be a brave person to stand under a Labour banner, if not Jeremy, in Islington North. And I would sort of put a, I will put a projection forward. My prediction is that if Jeremy stood as an independent in Islington North, I, I think he would win. Really? That's interesting. Kirsty, what's your take yeah. on this sort of strategy, I guess, from, from Keir Starmer? Well, two things happened this week that were very important. One was that, and the other was that the uh, Labour Party was finally removed from special measures mm. that had been placed under two years ago by the Equalities and Human Rights Commission. Now, you know, let's just uh, rewind a bit. The Labour Party is the only mainstream party to have ever been put under special measures by the Equality and Human Rights Commission in this country because under Corbyn, anti-Semitism ran so rife that uh, it was found guilty of three breaches of harassment discrimination. And I think two-thirds of British uh, uh, of British Jews said if Jeremy Corbyn became Prime Minister, they would seriously consider leaving the country because they became so frightened uh, about the anti-Semitism that had taken over the party. So, look, there was never going to be a way back for Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, look, I hope he stands as an independent. I hope he loses. Um, I think Keir Starmer uh, has done a good and solid job of ridding the party, purging the party of the poison of racism that had infected it at every level. I think he's done a good and solid job, but I think it's also important to remind everybody of, of two things about that. One, this was a mandated by the EHRC. No leader had a choice in this. You had to, uh, you had to, to take those measures. Uh, and two, Keir Starmer served in Jeremy Corbyn's cabinet. He campaign for him to become the Prime Minister. He said, I 100% support Jeremy Corbyn. Now, you know, people have got a choice to make now when they look at Keir Starmer. You know, you can say, look, this is the man that's cleaned up the party, made it electable again. Uh, or you can say, this is the man that stood by and did nothing while other Labour MPs quit because they could not bear to be in a party that becomes so infected by racism uh, under Jeremy Corbyn's leadership. So, you know, make your choice about that. Uh, I mean, hats off to Keir Starmer. He's done a, a good job, a good, solid job of clearing it up. But I don't think we should ever lose sight of the fact that, you know, he was silent while others stood up, left the party that they loved every mm. bit as much as Jeremy Corbyn loved his party. I, I worked as campaign director for Mainstream UK under Ian Austin. Ian Austin devoted his life to the Labour Party. He loved the Labour Party. And he left it because he couldn't bear to be in a party anymore that was turning a blind eye to such rampant anti-Semitism. Now, well, I mean, you know, one thing... And he wasn't alone, sorry, Frankie, he wasn't alone in that. So people can make their own mind up about how important that kind of equation is for Keir Starmer. But uh, there are a lot of people that will, that, that, that will still think that that needs to be uh, something that people need to factor in when they think about Starmer's leadership. I think the EHRC thing is an important point and I'm just going to cast your mind back to January the 24th which is almost a year ago which is when the EHRC threatened to investigate the Conservative Party around Islamophobia and this was the inquiry into the allegations that Nusrat Ghani made which was saying that she felt like the Conservative Party was not an environment that was pleasant to be for Muslims and I just think it's important that when we talk about instances of racism within political parties and I'm not doubting that there was yeah, anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, clearly there was. But I think it's time to have an honest conversation about the Conservatives' role 
in perpetuating Islamophobia in this country. I think it's important to have a conversation about the culture that Conservative MPs themselves have said they do not feel safe being Muslims in the Conservative Party. The fact that the EHRC was potentially going to investigate the Conservative Party means that clearly what we have in this country is an issue with political parties and how they deal with racism of all forms. Something to consider, I think, on future podcast episodes that sets us up nicely for what the rest of 2023 has to hold. I'm out of predictions now that I got today's right. Um, that happened Good a lot idea. quicker than I was expecting. Yeah, have another one. Have oh. another go. I mean, yesterday in the office, I was banding around the idea of Alex Salmond being the next SNP leader, but that was mostly just for oh, hilarity's gosh. sake. So I'll, I'll hold off. I'll have a week off predictions and then see where we get to. Um, maybe next Maybe next week I'll drop another one in <laughs> and see what happens. Uh, Kirsty and Frankie, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank our, you. our thanks to Campbell Gunn as well. Really great to get his insight as somebody who worked with Nicola Sturgeon and Alex Salmond. Your thoughts then on the biggest political story of the year so far. You can email hello at whitehallsources.com. Join our mailing list. The website is whitehallsources.com forward slash mailing list. Just pop your details in there and we can keep in touch as the year goes by. If you've got any predictions that you'd like to make, be bold, go on, then get them through to us as well. We, of course, drop into your podcast feed every Thursday, so make sure you follow and subscribe and we will speak to you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.